Great to see you. Let me welcome you again. If you're visiting, it's really good to see you. Uh, if I don't know you, my name's Neil. I'm one of our leaders here at Liberty. If you haven't got a Bible, uh, you'll need one. If you haven't got one, just pop your hand up and um, Michael will get you one. Michael's actually a visiting musician for us, so we're going to uh, make him earn his salt uh, this afternoon. Yeah, just pop your hand up. Uh, Michael will get you a Bible. We're in Psalm chapter 1, um, which is... Page 448, if you've got one of our church Bibles, page 448. Well, Ryan's uh, reminded us, but we didn't really need much reminder. We've had some week, haven't we? We started the week, uh, well, welcoming in a new Prime Minister, saying goodbye to the old Prime Minister, and saying goodbye towards the end of, of the week to our Queen, who's been faithfully serving our country for over 70 years and it doesn't really matter whether you're into politics or the monarchy or not the events of this week have been significant right and like everyone knows what's happened this week i hope like hopefully that's not new news to you um it should be page 448 i think psalm chapter one and uh, as we uh, spend the next few weeks as a church just refreshing our hearts refreshing our minds with our values as a church, our values of truth, uh, transformation and presence. Uh, It's helpful to see actually when we think of the Queen and we think of uh, the life that she's lived, it's helpful to see actually how how she has embodied these three values of truth, transformation and presence. It's as if she was a covenant member of Liberty Church. She wasn't, that would have been amazing if she was. But actually she in her life, she was a Christian, she uh, professed Jesus Christ as her Lord and her Saviour and in her life she showed how she valued and held onto these three things, truth, transformation and presence. So she was uh, confess herself that she held onto God's truth, the Bible, the word as her hope and her guide in life. She was someone who was transformed by the word and the work of Christ in her life. She clearly craved change in her own life and in the life of those people around her. She committed her life to prayer. Like It's not just in the crown. She did actually pray every night by her bedside. And in terms of being present as well, she used her position as an opportunity to be tangibly present. Our three values as Liberty Church is is truth, transformation, and presence. We want to be a people who hold on to and hold out truth, the truth of God's word. We want to be a people who pursue transformation through God's word in each other's lives. And we want to be a people who are tangibly present. And she was tangibly present. She used her position as an opportunity, not just as our monarch, but as a servant of Christ, to try in, her, in the best of her ability through the work of Christ in her life to lead a godly life. And to help this nation as much as it can lead a godly life. Like I suppose we'll never know. But I would, I would guess that the conversations, the private conversations that she's had with government and, and politicians would have a lot to do with why our country is what it is like. Like we could be far more morally liberal than we are. And actually I like to think that her influence, particularly her Christian influence, has stopped us moving all the way to the end of that spectrum truth transformation presence she held on to those values and that kind of life a life that is committed to those values is a life that is compelling that is one of the reasons why there's been so much respect shown for the queen this week and there's been an outpouring of grief across the country because for the most part of her life her life was compelling and it was different 
because she held on to the truth of God's word as her truth, because she pursued transformation in her own life, because she used the opportunity that she had to be not just present, but tangibly present. There was a commentator yesterday on the BBC News describing uh, kind of his reflections on on the Queen's life. And he said that, that she was someone who had a light and a moral code. He saw something in the Queen which millions of people saw. He saw in the Queen that she was bright and she was right. It's interesting, you listen to what the Queen says herself about her life. You can read it up there. She says that that her brightness and her rightness wasn't her brightness and rightness. It was that she was reflecting the brightness and the rightness of Christ. This is what she said in her Christmas address in 2016, talking about the cross. She said, Jesus Christ lived obscurely for most of his life. He was maligned and rejected by many, though he had done no wrong. And yet billions of people now follow his teaching and find in him the guiding light for their lives. And I am one of them. Isn't that beautiful? Yes, she lived a life that by and large, she wasn't perfect, but by and large was bright and right. But according to herself, that wasn't her work. That was her reflecting the brightness and the rightness of her saviour, Jesus. And here's what's interesting as you look across the last few days since Thursday, and we'll see it right through this week. Something interesting is happening because as we live here in the 21st century in modern society, actually there is a a general pushback against morality. There is a general pushback against living to a moral code or submitting to absolute truth, which is what the Bible says that it is. That actually what we hear more often is people saying, I'll make my own truth, thank you very much. What we hear more often is, I don't want to submit to to what someone else tells me to do. I don't want to submit to authority. I will make my own moral code. So God, you don't tell me what to do. That's more often what we hear. The Bible is restrictive. The Bible steals my freedom. The Bible is there to rob my joy. But what we've observed over this, this last week is that a country, a world has been compelled by a life that has been bound to the truth of God's word. That's how we ended the week. Let's not forget what happened at the beginning of the week. At the beginning of the week, let's not forget why this happened. We saw a new prime minister being installed. And the reason we needed a new prime minister was because the public... You and I have had enough of the lies and the moral failures of the last one. And listen, this isn't a political statement. Honestly, it's not. I'm not saying anything kind of political here. I'm just saying what happened. The public had had enough of the lies and moral failures of the last prime minister. And not just the public, his own government had had enough. And so they removed him. This is interesting. See, whether they would admit it or not... The life that is lived holding on to the truth of God's word is a life that is compelling. And a life that isn't is repulsive. And a life not worth submitting to. That's why we have a new prime minister and we pray that she is a prime minister who lives in the brightness and lightness of Christ. The example that the queen left us is one who reflected the brightness and lightness of her saviour because she held on to his truth. What we're going to see as we read this psalm together, it's just uh, six verses, is that that is a life worth living. A life holding on to the truth of God's word is worth living 
fundamentally because blessing is found in delighting and meditating on the truth of God's word. If we have to sum up Psalm 1, that's how we would sum it up. Blessing is found in delighting and meditating on the truth of God's word. Well, let me read it, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to walk uh, through these verses together. Psalm chapter 1. This is King David speaking, and this is what he says. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Oh, we thank you so much for the glorious truths that we've already confessed with our mouths as we've sung together. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that for your people, he is beautiful. His name is beautiful because we know what he has done and what he is doing and what he will do. And Father, now as we come to hear from you through your word, we pray that your spirit would lead and guide us to truth. We believe that these are your words. They are living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we ask that by the power of your spirit that you would change us. Every single one of us, change us, reveal truth to us, we pray. For the glory of your son. Amen. We're just going to kind of camp in verse 1 and 2 this week. As we make our way through our three values, truth, transformation, presence, we're going to make our way through Psalm chapter 1. We're going to camp out there for the next three weeks. And just for this week, we're just going to look at verses 1 and 2. I'm Really what we want to see in these two verses is why we would be a people who hold on to and hold out truth. And we're going to see three lessons just from these first two verses. And here's the first thing uh, that we learn and we really need to understand. And it's this. We all walk or walked in the council of the wicked. We need a couple more cheers. Come on, Michael. We'll pay you overtime. (laughs) let me say that again we all walk or we all walked in the council of the wicked whether you're a christian here this afternoon or not that is true for you we all walk or walked in the council of the wicked i'll unpack what that means in a moment but before we get any further just just kind of let's focus in on the first word of this song let's do a bit of a, a group exercise Hopefully we're all reading from the same translation that says the same thing. The first word of Psalm chapter 1 is blessed. Now blessed is one of those words that that has become overused and and undervalued in our society. So we often use um, uh, that word blessed. So when someone sneezes, we'll say bless you. Or or when we see a cute baby, we'll say oh bless bless his cotton socks. Or even in, in Christian lingo, like we say, no one says that. No, no one says it anymore. Okay, maybe you might say that. If it's a really cute baby, we say it, right? Um, but even in Christian lingo, we say it, don't we? God bless you as, as you leave or as you depart or as you meet someone. But when we say bless or blessing, I wonder whether we really know what it means. When King David says it, when he writes it, and we see it in a number of places through the Psalms, King David means a lot more than I think what we mean when we say it. When David says the word blessed, when we read the word blessed in the Psalms, he means 
He means to increase. He means to grow. He means to swell and to overflow in all that is good. In all that is good. He means to overflow in joy. He means to overflow in peace. He means to overflow in rest. He means to overflow in all that is good. That's what he means when he says blessed. Now we could just stop there, right? The first word of Psalm chapter one, we could go home and just feast on that. But we're not, we're going to carry on. Blessed. I want some of that. Anyone else? Blessed. And did you see how that blessing comes? Just jump down to the end of verse two. Blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. When he says the law of the Lord, he means the truth of God's word. That's what we're talking about this afternoon. The truth of God's word, the Bible. Blessed is the one who delights in the truth of God's word and meditates on it day and night. David is showing us that the blessed life, that overflowing life, is tightly bound to the truth of God's word. The person who delights in God's word and meditates on God's word will increase in all that is good. The person who meditates on God's word and delights in God's word will overflow in peace, in love, in joy, in rest, in all of those good things that we crave. And we'll see why in a minute, but before we get there, look at what happens in between blessed and the end of verse two. David, by the way, when he says blessed is the man, he doesn't just mean men. He's he's kind of holding up an example. He's saying, imagine a guy. It's the same for a woman. It could be a woman. It could be blessed is the man or blessed is the woman. So he holds up this example over here. Blessed is the one who who delights in the law of the Lord, who meditates on the law of the Lord. So we have this person over here. And if you look down to verse six, you'll see that he describes this person as the righteous one. You see that in verse six? They're in the congregation of the righteous. So over here, you have the righteous one who is blessed because they are delighting in the law of the Lord. But then he, he brings someone else to our attention. Verse 1 and verse 2, he says, there's someone else. He says, there is someone who, who dwells in the counsel of the wicked. He kind of unpacks a little bit more in the verses what this person is like. He, he describes this person as, as someone who is wicked or someone um, who is a scoffer or someone who is a sinner. Now remember over here, we have the righteous one. And their destiny, their future is one who is blessed because they are submitting to the truth of God's word. Over here we have the one who is the sinner. And he says that they are, they are, are listening to the counsel of the wicked. In other words, their own truth. They reject God's truth and they listen to their own truth. The destiny of the righteous one is blessing. Look down at verse 6. What is the destiny of the sinner? They will perish. David likes to do this. He likes to hold up kind of two contrasting examples. The righteous over here, the sinner over here, blessing over here, death over here. Submitting to God's truth over here. Listening to the counsel of the wicked, our own truth over here. See, there are only two ways to live, folks. There is a way in which we submit to the truth of God's word. And that is the path to blessing the overflow, the increase, or is, or there is the way of the sinner. 
And the Bible is clear. If you remain in your sin, if you refuse to submit to the truth of God's law, there is only one destiny for you. That is death and the judgment of God. And that isn't David being harsh, that is David being loving and honest and true. And if you're a Christian here this afternoon, don't kind of think, oh, I'm safe, I'm over here. Ah, just let's forget about that. I'm all right. No, let's remember where we came from. Every single one of us came into this life here. Our nature was sinful and we sinned. This is where we came in to this world, folks. And the only reason we have found our way over here It's not because we're good people. It's not because we proved ourselves to God. It's not because we're not a murderer. We're not a thief. No, the only way we find ourselves over here is because of the grace of God. Grace being all the loving kindness coming to us freely. The only reason you stand here if you are a Christian is because God graciously sent his son. The only reason you stand here if you're a Christian is because God graciously sent his son to die your death on a cross God graciously sent his son to suffer the cruelest death. And Jesus graciously took that death for you. He took the judgment for you. He was punished for you. The judgment that you should have received, the hell that you should have received, he suffered it for you graciously. Not because you're good, not because you're right, but because he is and because he is merciful and kind and loving. The only reason you are here if you are here is because of the grace of God. And it's the grace of God in which you stand now. By the grace of God, he's filled you with his spirit. And by the grace of God, he will lead you home. And by the grace of God, you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Those in the righteous congregation aren't righteous because they're righteous. They're righteous because through the finished work of the cross, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his ascension, God has wrapped us in the righteousness of his son. Only reason you are here, the only reason, the only way you can get here is by the grace of God. That is the gospel, folks. That is the message of God's word. And that, and as we lead to our second point, that is why we should delight in it. That is why this book should be our delight. That is why we should long to read it and cherish it. That's why we should want to walk by it. It's interesting, isn't it? David doesn't say walk by God's word or or, or even like we say, hold on to it. He goes deeper. What does he say we should do with God's word? Delight in it. I love that word. Think about something that you delight in. What is it that you delight in? And don't give the Christian answer. Just think about, okay, well, what do you enjoy? What just gives you that kind of feeling, right? Maybe it's a certain person or a relationship. Maybe you're a foodie and it's just that smell of, I don't know, steak or carrots or whatever it is. What is it that delights you? That achievement, that experience of of accomplishing something. What is it that, that delights you? Just think of what that is for a moment and think of all the emotional and physical and, and everything kind of even spiritually that you feel in that moment. David says that those who enjoy the blessed life because they're holding on to the truth of God's word have that kind of connection with God's word. 
That same feeling of delight that you feel when, I don't know, just that, that, that embrace that you have from your loved one or that, that taste in your mouth from that food or, or scoring that winning goal, that kind of delightful experience, David says, you have that experience with God's word if you are over here. So David has something that he delights in, right? Not apart from God's word. Everyone has something a little bit quirky, right? David's is honey. And we see this in the Psalms. He loves honey. A few times in the Psalms, he talks about how much he loves honey. And he talks about, he kind of relates it to God's word in this way. He says, he says, your words, he's talking to God, your words are sweeter on my mouth than honey. Like more sweet to me are they than anything that comes out of the beehive. Oh, I love to taste your word, Lord. That's, that's how much he delights in it. He finds something that he delights in. He's like, oh, it's like that when I... It's like that when I hold on to God's word. I delight in it. And we might think, well, that's a bit extreme, David, but it isn't. Because he loves it. Because he knows that it is true. We're going to see why in a minute. But I just want to just make a quick point. When David says that he delights in God's word, he isn't saying that that this blessed life that comes from delighting in God's word is a life that's free from suffering, is a life that's free from pain, is a life that's free from loss. That's not what he's saying a blessed life is. And if anyone tells you that, they're lying. Don't listen to those people. The blessed life isn't a life that is free from suffering, pain, turmoil, anguish. That isn't the blessed life. The blessed life is one who delights in God's word in the midst of all of that and holds on tightly to it. Folks, in a world where truth is a contested space, and what I mean by that is there are so many other truths that are trying to find their way into our hearts. My prayer is that we as a church, Liberty, would hold onto and hold out truth. My prayer is that we would truly delight in God's word. And as we delight in it, we would be blessed. We would overflow. We would bubble over in all that is good. Now I know, because I know you and I know me, that some of us need encouragement towards doing that, towards holding on to God's word. Because we struggle, right? We struggle. So let me give you four brief reasons as to why you'd want to hold on to God's word as truth, as to why you would want to delight in it. Firstly, because it gives us eternal hope. It gives us eternal hope. Apostle Paul says this in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. We heard before as well, we love this verse from Romans chapter 4, the word of God is living and it is active. This book is different to any other book. The words in here are different to any other words that you will encounter this week. And you will encounter some beautiful words. Like you'll scroll through Instagram and you'll see some beautifully crafted words. You'll, you'll, you'll read an incredible novel that will really grip you. I don't know. You'll, you'll scroll through Twitter and you'll read some probably stuff that will make you really angry. I don't know. But you'll read some stuff this week. But none of it can change the course of your eternity. But this can. Truths in this book. What God uses by the power of his spirit to save his people. This is the gospel. 
And it's through the gospel that we are saved. It is through the gospel that our eternity is changed. That is why hundreds of years ago, 500 years ago, during the Reformation, men and women would willingly be burnt at the stake and strangled and executed to translate this into English so that you and I can have these in our hands. They were willing to die so that we could read it because they knew that it could change the course of eternity. Oh, we should delight in it because it gives us eternal hope. We should delight in it because it gives us clarity. There's no doubt, friends, that this world is a difficult place to live. Even if you're a Christian, like maybe even more so if you're a Christian. Like we confront so many things, you just flick on the news and it is difficult It's difficult to kind of just work through the brokenness that we see in the world and even the sin in our own lives and to make sense of it. Well, the truth of God's word helps us to see clearly. It's a little bit like um, those of you who are blessed with glasses. Um, You know, before you you started wearing glasses, you, you went to the opticians and they did the test on your eyes, and invariably your eyes were much worse than, than you thought they were. And they, they gave you a prescription, and you took those glasses home, and you put on those glasses, and for the first time you can see everything clearly. So Elizabeth, when we go to the cinema, she started taking her glasses. And for the first time, it's wonderful, I didn't have to tell her what the, what the text says on the screen, she can read it for, her, for herself. But there's something that I'm putting on those, those glasses that allows you to see clearly. That's God's word to us, folks. In the midst of chaos and confusion and the brokenness, and we think, why? What, what, what is going on? Like, we come to God's word and, and we're able to make sense of it. It helps us to see clearly, it gives us meaning. In 1953, you'll love this one, Mark and Julie, DNA was discovered by two, allegedly by two scientists. Maybe there was a couple before, but in 1953, uh, the world started on this, this journey of discovery, of understanding uh, the human body more. And this was a, a transformational moment. It unlocked research into, into human health, into, into diseases and cures for diseases. It was a, a real breakthrough in understanding humanity. But despite the billions of pounds that have been pumped into it, despite all of the good that's come from it, despite how much more intellectual we are about the human body, we still cannot use DNA to help us understand the meaning of life. Like why we are here. The truth of God's word does. Acts chapter 3, verse 15, we read this. Jesus is the author of life. What better person to go to when we're confused about why we're here? Or we don't know what we're doing. We go to the author of life and he's written it all down for us. Friends, if you don't know why you're here, if you're, if you're kind of churning up about your existence or, or what the future holds, God's very clear in here why he created you and what he created you for. The truth of God's word gives us meaning and the truth of God's word gives us direction. Now, we're in a phase in the Forsyth house at the moment of jigsaws. It's come around again, usually about this time of year. During the summer holidays, Micah gets out his jigsaw puzzles and he's upgraded to a thousand piece jigsaw this year. Yeah. That's not bad, is it? So he had uh, this jigsaw of Disney this year. Uh, this is what Micah does. He, he likes to assume that he's, he's more intellectual than he is. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? I shouldn't have said that. But you know what I mean. It, he's like me. Right, my dad says, that was you when you were a boy. So I don't mind saying it. In fact, it's every little boy. We think that we're better than we are. So we give him a box of, of um, this uh, every man. Amen. Um, 
Uh, we give him the box of jigsaw, um, jigsaw bits. And he, he gets them all out. And I'm sitting there with him. And, and this is what he does. He pushes the box to one side. And he just starts to get the pieces and tries putting them together. I'm like, son, it's not going to work. You need the box to see what you're building, right? No, 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 it's fine, Dad. It's not even like he goes for the edge first. Like, that's Jigsaw 101, right? <laughs> Go for the edge. No, 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 he's like, I'm just going to find that piece and, and that blue piece. And, and, it, and what happens is, uh, he might kind of get lucky every now and again, to be fair. But usually, he's getting two pieces that just don't fit together. Because he's a little bit stubborn like me, he'll force them in. <laughs> and the edges will get broken. And they'll get distorted. Folks, that's so often what the human life is like. And we don't know what life was meant to be like. We just find bits and try and piece it together. And we end up broken. And we end up damaged. You know, if Micah wants to know what the jigsaw looks like, what should he do? Look at the box. There's no denying that our world can be a disorientating and a confusing place to live. Truth, the idea of truth is constantly changing and shifting with culture and even the institutions that we once trusted are now being propped up with lies and liars. Jesus says this in John 14, I am the way, the truth and the life. The truth of God's word is like the picture on the front of the jigsaw box. It shows us what life should be like. It instructs us how to live a true, flourishing life. It is the final authority of what life should be like. The truth of God's word gives us direction. Friends, without the truth of God's word, we will be dead in our sin, destined for death and the judgment of God. But the gospel, God's truth, gives us eternal hope. Without the truth of God's way, we will be crushed and disillusioned by the brokenness and chaos we see in the world. In the world, but the truth of God's word gives us clarity. Without the truth of God's way, we would still be trying to find meaning and purpose for our lives. But the truth of God's word tells us why we are here and what we are here for. And without the truth of God's word, we would be exhausting ourselves, damaging ourselves, working out how to live a life worth living. But the truth of God's word gives us And that is why David delights in it. That is why we can delight in it as well. And it is why, as we come to our last point here, he makes it a daily habit to meditate on it. So as I just wrap up, just let me get practical. This is our go away kind of, okay, how do we apply this in our lives? This is what we go away and think about and, and with the help of God, try and do this week. Meditate on God's word. And when we talk about meditating, we're not talking about emptying our minds like some forms of meditation. We're talking about quite the opposite. We're actually talking about filling our minds, flooding our minds with the truth of God's word. And David says, do that daily. Meditate on God's word daily for all the reasons that we've just seen, for all of the, the reasons that we've just enjoyed, that it is our delight to because it leads us to eternal hope. We delight to because it gives us direction. It gives us meaning for all of those reasons. We meditate on it daily. And if you're a Christian here this afternoon, like you can easily kind of hear that and go away and think, oh, here he goes again. Neil's telling us to read our Bibles. Or we'll do it for a couple of days or, you know, we'll, we'll smile at him and, and make it look like we're going to. Folks, I don't want us to go away discouraged from, from this. 
In fact, I want to leave us encouraged and to, to acknowledge that if you're a Christian, God has given you a desire to meditate on his word. It's in you because his spirit is in you. He's given you that desire. The problem is, is that there are powerful forces working against you to stop you doing it. So I'm not telling you off for not doing it. I'm opening your eyes to see there are reasons why you're not doing it. There are three things that are working against us, folks, as we close. Firstly, the world. I'm not saying the world is bad in everything. I'm saying there are things within the world that are, are pulling you away from, from really holding on to the truth of God's word and meditating on it. There are so many distractions. Like we know this, if you try to read the Bible, right? It's hard. Like there are so many distractions that come to you. Your phone, social media, books, podcasts, hobbies. And, and these aren't necessarily bad things, but they can distract you and lure you away from doing something that is really going to cause you to live the blessed life, to delight in God's word. And so can I encourage you? Here's a way to, to really defend yourself against the world this week. Just find a quiet space that is free from those distractions. This might be news to you, but do you know what happens when you turn your phone off? Like some of us actually don't know because you've never done it. Do you know what happens? <clears throat> Nothing. <laughs> like we're so well connected in today's world. If someone needs you, they'll find you. Carl, what could it look like this week just to turn it off for five minutes? And instead to open this. And to listen to Jesus speak to you. To hear his voice. What about the flesh? There's the world that works against us and our flesh works against us. See, the life lived over here, the, the, the righteous life, remember the two ways to live? This righteous life is, is a life where we live in, in, in kind of the, new, uh, the newness of life. God has given us new desires, but the old man, the old woman over there still, still has a, an influence on us. Our flesh, as we call it, still whispers lies in our ears. Lies like, oh, you're too busy today. You haven't got time for this. Or lies like, you can't read. <laughs> What's the point of picking up a book if you can't read? Or lies like, truth? I, you can make your own truth. You don't need to listen to God. Or lies like, no, if you read that, it's just going to steal your freedom. This is how the flesh works, folks. These whispers, these lies into our ears. You know, in a few weeks, a few weeks time, we're going to start a new series looking at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. I can't wait. And one of the things that Galatians 5 shows us, Paul shows us that constantly there is a battle against the flesh and the Holy Spirit in our lives. Constantly they are battering against each other and waging war on each other. And if that is true, when you come to open God's word, you need to be aware of that. And you desperately need to pray before you even open this. Just pray a simple prayer. Holy Spirit, I need your help. In this moment, I'm going to be distracted by all these things. I'm going to be hearing these lies. Can you put those things to death? Can you fight that battle for me? I just need to listen to my Savior for five minutes. Pray before you read. Acknowledge that there is a spiritual battle going on. And that leads us to the last enemy that we have, the devil. The devil doesn't want you to read this. You might be skeptical about Satan, the devil. He's real. And he doesn't want you to read this. Why? Because these are Jesus' words. And he doesn't want you to listen to Jesus. And so he will do all that he can to help you keep that book closed and to stay away from it. Open your eyes, folks. Realize that when you come to God's word, you are engaging in a spiritual battle. This is spiritual warfare. And so again, pray. But know that you're not on the back foot. 
He isn't stronger than the, the spirit that is within you. He might be stronger than you, but he isn't stronger than the Holy Spirit. And so you pray again, acknowledging that this is your sword. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Actually, this helps you take ground. This isn't an act of defense against Satan. The word of God takes ground against him. So pray. Pray in confidence. Pray in boldness. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can hear God speak to you, so you can delight in his word, and so you can live that blessed life, that life of overflowing goodness, bubbling up, swelling within you. That's the life I want to live this week. I hope you do too.